Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me for the Life Over Coffee podcast. This is Rick Thomas, and you can find me at rickthomas.net. Today, I want to share with you a sermon that I preached a little over a year ago in Queens, New York. We were traveling up the East Coast, and well, the way it happened was that we were out at the World Trade Center at the Memorial, and we were doing a Facebook Live. And while we were there in the city, a Vincent Valenzuela saw me on Facebook. We were friends on Facebook, and he asked me if I was in New York. I said, yeah, and he said, well, our church is in Queens, and why don't you come by? And he checked with his pastor, Ed Moore, if they would have me come and speak on a, this coming that coming Sunday night, and that's how it all worked out. The irony is that uh, I preached in Fresno, California the year before at Harvest Church that Ben Dosti pastors in Fresno. And Vinny was there. He was spending time in Fresno, and so he heard me speak out in California. I thought that he lived in California and stayed there, and so it was odd that I was now uh, talking to him and finding out that he's at the Queens Church at North Shore Baptist Church in Bayside, uh, Queens. By the way, if you're looking for a good church uh, in Queens, I would recommend Bayside North Shore Baptist Church. Again, the pastor is Ed Moore, and you can go there. We had a wonderful experience, and so I called Ed up, uh, got the number from Vinny, and said, hey, he didn't know me, I didn't know him, and on Vinny's recommendation, and so Ed had me come and speak on a Sunday evening. They don't normally have a Sunday evening service, and that place was packed out. It was wonderful. They were hungry for God's Word. They were lively. They were they were New Yorkers and all the good in all the good sense of, of that term. And we had a wonderful time. And so I preached. And the message that I brought to them that night was on communication. And we had some other folks that came down that uh, Al Yerkes, for example, who now is with Wretched Radio. He has since moved to Georgia, but he lived outside of New York. And he doesn't attend Bayside, but he came and he wanted to hear me speak, and there was another gentleman that I can't recall right now, and then there was Crystal Diaz that I met that night. Crystal has since been uh, following our ministry, and she was even at a webinar last Sunday night that I did, and we chatted briefly before the webinar, and so we made a few connections, but I, fo- uh, I spoke to them on communication, and if you want some information, in fact, if you want a transcript, the book uh, that I spoke from, it's on our website, and I'll link it here to the show notes. Uh, you'll hear at, at the beginning that uh, I made a crack about having multiple wives, and uh, I said that because Ed stood up and said, I really don't know him, don't know who he is, and so he's really speaking or letting me speak on a recommendation. And so I made a joke about that, and, and then, we, then I went on to speak. So I trust that you enjoy this message, again, on communication, and as always, uh, if I can serve you, please let me know. Here's the message. Good evening, all. I could only bring one of my wives here tonight. As your pastor said, he doesn't know who I am. So I went any, many, mighty, mo, and I picked Lucia. As you have already discerned, English is my second language. I speak Southern as my primary language. But one of the reasons I married Lucia is because she's a Yankee. 
She's from Erie, Pennsylvania. And so if you have any trouble with anything that I say tonight, just she will translate for you and explain it to you. It is a joy to be here, and I need to give you a little bit of a backstory. I came to Queens for the first time in 1989, and we did some mission work in Jackson Heights, Elmhurst. We passed out 30,000 tracts in three days, and God did a remarkable work. And it was at a very confusing and painful time in my life, and the Lord used a group of Christians up here. They were absolutely transformational. My only perspective of New York was bullets, murder, crime. I've said this many times. Some of the nicest people I have ever met in my life are from New York. You people, you excel. You excel in kindness. You excel in hospitality. You shocked me in 1989. I just left a friend of mine. His name is Hector. He he brought up a story from 27 years ago, and when he brought it up a couple hours ago, I, I apologized later. I said I could not even I could I, I could not even comment on what you said because it was so emotional for me. But God used Hector in my life in a powerful way. His humility. When I I'm, I'm this is the first time that I've been to Queens, and well, the second time in 27 years. It's just been an emotional time. So I'm just explaining that this is where I am emotionally right now when I think about the Christians in Queens, New York. I've seen God do some tremendous things. Christians in Queens have taught me as much about loving God and serving God as any other Christian people group from any other place in the world. And we've been to a lot of places. And I'm not just saying that because I'm here. It is true. The second time that I was in Queens was in 1996, and that's where I proposed to my wife on the Empire State Building. And I did that because we were here in 89 and 90, and I wanted her to meet some of my friends, and I thought while we were here, we might as well get hitched. (laughs) And what better place to get married than on, I mean, get engaged than on the Empire State Building, because uh, plan B was, baby, it's a long way down if you say no. She said yes, and just for FYI, uh, we came up on the plane together, but we lived in two different, we stayed in two different locations because we were not married. And then we met and toured Manhattan. We went to see Les Miserables, which is great because it's got killing in it, which is good for the guys. And then it's got romance, which is good for the girl. And so Lucia was primed. And then I took her up on the Empire State Building on December the 20th, the shortest day of the year. My thinking was, if she said no, it'll be the shortest day of the year. So, <laughs> And so we got married later in 1997. And so now we're, we're back now because I wanted my children to visit my friends. I wanted them to see Queens, New York. I wanted them to see the Christians up here. What I want to talk about tonight, by the way, my three children are Tristan, a girl, Hayden, and then Anza, A-N-S-A. She's an acronym, Australian National Sailboating Association. (laughs) We didn't have Google like we have Google now, and so, you know, that's what it is. But Lucia's the love of my life. There have been two people in my life who have said yes to me. Jesus was the first one in 1984. 
he said, yes, I will take him. And then in December the 20th, 1996, Lucius said, yes, I will take him. I understand more than anybody what Lucia is saying yes to. And Lucia said, yes, I will live with you. I will bear your children. I will wash your underwear. I will fix you food. I will listen to you snore. I will not freak out when you have your nightmares and a lot of other things. Yes meant a lot. One of the things that yes meant was the first five years of our marriage, I would never confess any sin to my wife, which is quite remarkable. We had communication problems, but we did not know we had communication problems. We just knew that we had problems. And through a series of circumstances and God's mercy to us, he, he began to reveal to both of us that we had communication problems that needed to be repaired. And I want to share with you tonight some of the things that the Lord has taught us over the years that has radically changed our marriage. Being a Christian, two people being Christians... Coming together in marriage does not insulate you from communication problems. And so we were two people who loved the Lord with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. But yet when we came together, we began to have problems. And it was centered in our inability to communicate well with each other. So if you take notes, I want to give you a good bit of data tonight. You are welcome to take those notes. If you don't and would like to have the content of this message, if you would email me, I will send you a transcript of what I am going to speak to you about tonight, and you can have a full transcript. My website is rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net. If you Google rickthomas.com, you just need to beware. He's a magician in Branson, Missouri. I am not him. He makes things disappear and he has a whole lot more hair and I do neither of those things. Though I do counseling and have been doing biblical counseling professionally for a very long time now, I do not fix people. That is a pay grade higher than mine. What I do is I water and I plant and God gives the increase, and so I am God's water boy. I can't fix anyone, but I can deliver the message and trust that God would do his sovereign work in people's lives. But if you really want things to disappear, then do rickthomas.com. He is a magician in Branson, Missouri. If you want to hear God's word, do rickthomas.net, and you will find me, and I will try to speak the truth in love. And so what I want to talk about, and I will give you one Greek word, it's the only one that I know. Uh, I used to know three, but I'm old now, and I forgot the other two. And I remember a Jehovah Witness coming up to the door one time, and he laid out his Greek word, and I laid out my Greek word, and, and then he gave me another one, and I gave him my second one, and I was thinking, I got one more bullet in the gun, and... And once I trumped him with my, that's not a political statement, by the way, but once I, <clears throat> with my second Greek word, he went to the car to talk to his mentors, and they got in the car and left. And I was like, <laughs> I was down to one Greek word that I could really fascinate this guy with, but I've forgotten those two now. But the one that I remember is koinonia, koinonia. That is the Greek word for communication. It is spelled K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. 
if you're taking notes, koinonia. But what you really need to know is that the word is community or communication. You'll also see that word appearing in Philippians uh, chapter 2, where Paul talked about a, a participation in the spirit. And so the word communication means to participate with another person. Another word for koinonia is fellowship. So the word communication means fellowship, it means participation. And what I want to begin with is I want to tell you what communication, what koinonia is not necessarily. Koinonia will not necessarily happen just because you are married. Being married, as I was saying earlier, is a good start for sound communication, but just because you are married doesn't mean that you will have biblical communication. Communication is not necessarily meeting in a Bible study and talking about theological truths. Communication is not necessarily talking about God. True biblical communication is not necessarily attending a church meeting like this. It's also not necessarily sharing common interest. I, ple- I appreciate the tip a while ago. I understand that I am supposed to cheer for the Mets over the Yankees based on what you just said. I love the Mets. <laughs> I really do. 1969, you remember Tom Seaver, the amazing Mets? Do y'all remember? Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? A sharing in a small group is not necessarily true biblical communication. True koinonia, first of all, is is unique. It is a unique form of communication. And what I mean by unique is that the only people on the planet that can have true communication, and I will explain this more later, but the only people on the planet that can have true communication with each other are Christians. Nobody else can have true communication except for Christians. The second thing that communication is, is that it is participation. It is active engagement with another human being. And so you can be married and be passive in your relationship with your spouse and you will not have true communication. One may want it, but the other one is passive. Remember, our God is a speaking God. He leads by being verbal. He is a communing God. And so a key aspect to communication is to speak. Without a speaking God, we would not have any faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as image bearers, we want to uh, image God because we were made in his image, as James says in James 3, 9 and 10. And so if you want to image God, then you have to be a communicating person. And so it is actively participating. It is a unique experience. It is also relational. Number four, it is sharing information. I will explain these a little more in detail momentarily. Number five, it is intrusive. True biblical communication is intrusive. It gets inside of your bubble. Number six, it is intentional. Meaning when you come to the church meeting on Sunday morning or Sunday night or when you're coming home from work, you are proactively thinking about how you can communicate with another person because 
You want to be intentional. One of the primary facets of the gospel is its intentionality. You read that in Ephesians 1, the first 11 verses, that, that God predetermined our salvation. God is an intentional God. You read that in uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you and called you to be a prophet to the nations. God is an intentional God, and if we want to image God in our communication, then intentionality becomes a major aspect of how we communicate. Meaning, I have to proactively think about my wife. I can't passively sit there and watch television or do whatever it is that I am doing and not communicate with her. That is not being intentional. True biblical communication is also uncomfortable which I think that you're probably getting the feeling that this is kind of uncomfortable. And then lastly, true biblical communication is dangerous. Not saying anything seems to be not dangerous. But actually, that is more dangerous than refraining, than doing biblical communication. Because by being quiet, actually, and being passive and non-committal and non-intentional and communicating with another human, that allows the relationship to deteriorate. And over the long run, being quiet and passive in your communication style is more dangerous than the danger of actually engaging another person. Our common sense would say that it's too dangerous to commit to a relationship, but that's also a, a counterintuitive aspect of the gospel. The gospel is not common sense either, which is why Peter struggled so much with the gospel. There's a man dying on a tree. That makes no sense. How can that be the wisdom of God? How can that be the power of God? As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 25. And so to actively engage someone in communication can on the surface appear to be dangerous and not wise, but actually that is the most redemptive thing that you can do in your relationship is to engage the other person. Now what I want to do now is I want to give you a definition of, of koinonia, and then I want to unpack it for you. Koinonia is participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Koinonia is participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Now, what I want to do is I want to illustrate that, and this was not planned, by the way, that I'm going to ask my, Lu uh, my Lucia, uh, my wife, to come up, and I want to illustrate it. So, baby, would you come up? This is Lucia. We call her St. Lucia. She's an island right beside St. Thomas. We're islands in the stream. That was old. You're old. <laughs> you are a wind beneath my wings. <laughs> Yeah, so you don't have to call me St. Thomas, and you don't have to call her St. Lucia. And my son's middle name is Bernard, so don't call him St. Bernard. <laughs> so, koinonia is 
participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. So I said earlier that uh, true biblical communication is a unique experience. Only Christians can have it, okay? So let's pretend, and so if you stand down there, and I'll stand down here, let's pretend that this stage here, this stage here is, is Christ, for sake of illustration. So Lucia and I want to have true communication. So in order to have true biblical koinonia with another person, you have to be in Christ. So baby, you need to be born again. All right, so now Lucia is in Christ. She's regenerated. She's been saved from above. All right, she's born again. Now, I'm going to get in Christ too. Both Lucia and I are in Christ. Now we can have true koinonia. Now what I want to do is I want to explain this. Koinonia is participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. So now it's a triangulated relationship. Man, woman, God, we're all in this bubble here. All right, thank you, baby. All right, now, the reason that true koinonia has to be that way, I'm going to give you four reasons. First of all, the natural man. You remember 1 Corinthians 2, 14? The natural man doesn't understand the things of God. This person out here doesn't understand the things of God. So in order to communicate well with another person, you need life. You remember Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins before we come to Christ. And so a dead person can't communicate this way. And so in order to communicate biblical koinonia, you have to have life. So you have to be raised from the dead. And I don't know if you spend a lot of time talking to unregenerate people. I imagine you have. I'm sure that many, uh, or at least some of your relatives, are unregenerate. And you know that it's hard to communicate with them at that level that you want to communicate with them because they do not have the life of God. They have not been raised from the dead. And so in order to have this kind of participation in the Spirit, in God, first you have to have life. Two... You have to have power, enabling. You have to be enabled. You not only have to be alive, but God has to be working in you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says that it is God who is working in you. Now you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so after we are born again, we have a responsibility to work out what God is working in. We call that progressive sanctification. God gives us that power. You see that idea also in James 4, 6. God gives grace to the humble. Grace is an enabling, empowering favor that God gives to the humble person. So you need the life of God in you. You need the power of God. Number three, you need God's light, illumination, the Spirit's illuminating power. Walking in the light, as John would say in 1 John, verses 7 through 10. And so the Spirit of God turns the light on, and now we can see what we could not see before. This is an amazing privilege that we have as Christians. 
We are made alive in God. We are empowered by God. He turns the light switch on. We can see things that we've never seen before. Why would you not want to talk? Why would you not want to communicate? And then the fourth thing are the gifts of God. And those gifts are too numerous to fully articulate. Courage is a gift from the Lord. It takes courage to communicate well. Wisdom. It takes wisdom to communicate well. Paul said, sometimes I make up scripture references if you're writing these down because I try to get them close. But I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul said, what has, what have you received that was not given to you? And so if you have courage and wisdom and patience and self-control and joy and kindness, all the things that you need to communicate well, those are gifts that have been given to you by God. So as you can see, you can't have this kind of biblical communication if you are not in Christ. Christ is the one that makes it happen. And so you have God's life in you. God's power is working in you. You have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And then God gives you His gifts, wisdom, courage, power, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 23 and 24. Or you can read those elements in 1 Corinthians verse uh, 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love does not envy. Those are all gifts that God gives us and, and everything else, but they're all essential to be able to communicate well. That is what biblical koinonia is. And so there are some conditions to where you can't communicate that way. One of them I've already mentioned. If one person in the relationship is not born again, who does not have God's life, God's power, God's light, God's gifts, you will not be able to effectively communicate with them this way. If a person is a nominal Christian, name only, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. If a person has sin in their life that they are unwilling to own, to confess, because what they are doing is they are quenching the Spirit of God, grieving the Spirit of God. Or if you take the other side of James 4, 6, I referenced it earlier, I said, God gives favor to the humble, but the same sentence also says in 4.6, He opposes the proud. And so if you are in a relationship with an individual who has sin in their life that they do not want to own that sin, uh, be humbled by God, then you will not be able to have that kind of communication with them. You also read in Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, where it says that, that God's wrath comes down from heaven against any person who, who presses the truth of God out of their lives. And so if you are trying to engage with the person who is pushing the truth of God out of their lives, you will not be able to have that kind of biblical communication. If a person is not born again, if a person is a Christian in name only, if a person has sin, if a person is sinful. One of my biggest, I'd say probably my, my most common and biggest, most recurring sin issue that I have is anger. That is my biggest sin pattern in my life. And typically the way anger works out with me, it works out by being impatient. 
I can be a very impatient person. Impatience is a form of anger. And so St. Lucia is not only an island, but she lives that way. She lives on island time. She can run a small third world country. She's omnicompetent, but she lives on island time. She'll get there when she gets there. People like that don't die. (laughs) They just disappear. I mean, there's no way she'll die of a heart attack. I mean, she, she's St. Lucia. She lives on island time. St. Thomas is not an accurate metaphor to describe me. I live on military time. The official disorder to describe me is anal. <laughs> I want it yesterday. And so when Island Girl married Anility, it created issues. And I can be very demanding and impatient. And it comes out as anger. And it's, it's something that I have been working on all my life, and particularly since I've been a Christian and more since I've been married to my wife. However, when I am sinful, when I'm harsh, impatient, unkind to my wife or to my three children, we ain't going to have biblical communication. Because I am truncating, I'm circumventing, I'm quenching, I'm grieving the Spirit of God in our relationship, and we cannot participate. And so you can not only have a hidden sin that you are not owning, or you can be like probably like the majority of us, that we have sin patterns in our life that that cuts off communication with other people. Two other ways that you cannot have biblical koinonia is one is you can be dull. This comes directly from Hebrews 5, verses 12, 13, and 14. The Hebrew writer said, For by this time you ought to be teachers of the word of God, but you have become dull in your hearing. One chapter earlier in Hebrews 4, verses 7 and 8, he said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not become dull. Back up one more chapter, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, he said the same thing. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And so if the Spirit of God is... The light is on and he's saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. Stop sinning. Stop being unkind to her. Stop being angry. Do not harden your heart if you hear his voice today, the Hebrew writer said. Because if you continue to quench or grieve the spirit, you will become dull and after a while you become so desensitized to God's illumination that you will not be able to see what you should be able to see or to hear what you should be able to hear, and that will kill communication in a relationship. If you're not born again, if you're a nominal Christian, if you have sin in your life, if you are being sinful at any moment, if you are dull or if you are unwilling, the last two ways that you will not have true communication is that if you are afraid. This one is a double-edged sword. You could be afraid because you are a fearful person and the fears that you have are not manipulated by the other person. You're just a fearful, timid person. That's one thing. But then again, you could be in a relationship where the other person is really harsh, really angry, really unkind, 
and is causing this fear that you have. And I can't unpack that in this message because those two things are two entirely different issues that takes a lot of time to talk about. But this is one thing I would say. For those of you who create fear or perpetuate fear in a relationship, which is how I was describing myself by being angry, what I try to live by and what I definitely counsel other people to do is that you want to create an environment of grace in your home that is conducive, that compels people to want to communicate with you. That is what God has done with us. We learn about the kindness of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, the long-suffering of the Lord, the grace of God. And as we learn about these things, we are motivated to come to Him and to share with Him all the things that are in our hearts. God creates an environment of grace for us to step into to be completely and totally vulnerable with Him. If you are a person who struggles in a similar way in which I do, where you need to mortify this sin in your heart because you can be harsh, you can be unkind, you can be impatient. You are affecting those who are around you and they will shut down and they will not enter into communication with you because they are afraid. True community. Here's a second definition now. I want to go just a little bit deeper and then we'll be done. We know that biblical communication is participating together in the life and truth that is made possible by Christ. What is the content of our communication? What is it that we are sharing with the other person? It is this. True biblical communication is sharing the one thing that you have in common with the other person that is at the deepest level of your soul. I'm going to identify that thing in just a moment. But true community is sharing that one thing that you two have in common at the deepest level of your soul. That is true community. And that one thing is your personal experience with God. The most profound thing that you have The deepest thing that you possess is your relationship with God. And so true communication is sharing your experience with God with another human being. I want to unpack that because this is where it gets dangerous. Lucia has an experience with God. She's been born again. I have an experience with God. I have been born again too. Lucia's experience with God is both positive and negative. I'll explain that. And my experience with God is both positive and negative, meaning that there are good things and bad things. There is light and dark. There are some areas where I have appropriated the grace of God in my life and I'm doing okay. And there are some areas where I am still not perfect. I want to let you know that I am not perfect. I haven't attained that level in my sanctification to where I sin not. And so in Hebrews 4.13, it says that all things are naked and exposed to him with whom we have to give an account. God who sees in the dark sees all things in my heart and he knows everything there is to know about me. 
He knows where I'm nailing it and just doing well. And he knows where I'm failing. That is my complete experience with God, which is why I said it's positive and it's negative. I mean it like that. I'm succeeding in some ways. And then like the man said in Mark 4.29, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, Lucia has a similar kind of relationship. She is nailing it. In a lot of areas, more than me, if we're counting, but who's counting? And then she's failing in some areas. Both of us are very willing to share our experience with God with God. And we go to Him and, and say, Lord, man, I am stinking to high heaven right now. And I need your help on this and that and the other thing. And you just bring in all your junk to God and then there are other times it's like, God, thank you for the grace that you have given me that I'm working through this and, and it's working and I'm getting stronger day by day. If you want to have true biblical koinonia with another human, then you want to work at bringing all of that relationship that you have with the Lord this way to the other person. Your complete experience with God, you want to export to another human being. If you get to that place, <laughs> that is the, the communal sweet spot for the Christian. God, Rick, Lucia, sharing their complete experience with God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I led, my opening statement was, is that I, I spent the first five years of our marriage and I never confessed a sin, not one, to my wife. That did not mean in any way that I never sinned against my wife during the first two years of our marriage. But as you can discern from that statement is that our relationship, we were Christians, we were in ministry, we were church attenders, we were Bible lovers, but our relation, our communication was cut off because my relationship with God was partially hidden from her. We were not having this kind of true community. And that is the way it happens. You remember when boy meets girl? That's called the dating season. For those of you who aren't married, I want to give you a marriage tip, a dating tip. There, the dating season, another name for the dating season is called the artificial season where the boy fakes the girl out in order to get uh, hitched. It's where he opens the car door, gives her flowers, doesn't pass gas, says all the right things, and then they get married. And so when they start dating, they're coming together like this. They're heading toward one fleshness. And at some point in every relationship, every single relationship, it starts going like this. Do you know why? S-I-N. You start learning things about the other person. You start seeing things you never saw before. You start experiencing things with them that you didn't ever think could happen as you get closer and closer to each other. I've been counseling for 20 years. And in marriage counseling, there are two demographics that I counsel 98% of the time. The first demographic is people who have been married five years or less. The second demographic are people who are married 15 years or more. There's a reason for that. If they don't come to me in the first five years, I won't see them again until 15 or 20 years. 
The first five years, they start realizing that uh, this is not what I thought it was, and so they come and get help. If they don't come and get help, they start having babies. A synonym for a baby is called a distraction. And so now the mom, the wife becomes a mom and the husband becomes a worker and they just live distracted lives for the next 15 years. And then they come back at year 20 or 25. They get a divorce at 30 years and everybody in the church is shocked. Why did they get a divorce at 30 years? They've been married for 30 years. I know why. The distractions are gone. And now they have come back together and they're looking at each other again and it's, you have got to be kidding me. You, they have options. We're good Christian people and we're just going to coexist till Jesus comes back or one of us dies. Lord, come quickly. Or they get help or they get a divorce or grandbabies. Synonym for grandbabies is distraction. He takes up golf, she takes up grandchildren, and they coexist until the Lord comes back or one of them goes. Everybody comes to this place in their relationship. And it doesn't matter if you're married. Church relationships are like this. Church relationships are especially like this. I don't want you to think that we're suspicious or cynical people, but when we meet new people, like we have them over to the house, Lucia and I will we'll say, I, I, I wonder what kind of sin they have in their lives. We say that after they leave. <laughs> it's, it's not cynicism or suspicion. It's discernment and wisdom. They're fallen. If you are surprised that a person sins, it's like, have you read your Bible? The last thing in the world we should be is surprised when a person fails you. When a person just sins in the middle of a small group or in the middle of this relationship, to be surprised is the last thing you should be. It should be like, hmm, I expected that. Now, you're not being judgmental. You're being discerning. And if you expect it, then you're ready to be redemptive in that relationship. If you are shocked that they sin, then you're going to start gossiping. You're going to start slandering. You're going to start alienating from them and separating from them because they're sinners. The best kind of relationship that you could ever have is the freedom to sin in front of another another person and the freedom to share the things that are wrong with you in front of another person. And when these things began to become true for Lucia and I, we became confessional Christians. We started sharing our entire relationship with God with each other. Baby, I was angry with you. I sinned. Will you forgive me? Yes, I will forgive you. Can we talk about what went wrong? Yes, we can talk about what went wrong. This is why I did this. This is how I struggle. I need your help. I need for you to speak into this because I have a problem. I've talked to God about it for years, but we have never talked about it because I've never shared my experience with God with you. And so now I want to share my experience with God with you. And by the way, part of my experience with God is fantastic. And a part of it is not. Of course, you already know that. (laughs) You live with me. You know that I'm a failure in these areas here, which is the irony of the whole thing. 
she already knows that you have a defective relationship with God in certain areas. And so why not go ahead and share that with her? After five years, we began to step into these truths and it became dangerous. It became painfully uncomfortable. I want to give you a a few ideas of how you can have biblical communication with another human. I will share seven of those and then we will close. Number one, worshiping God together. Now, that's a little bit tricky because there's two ways to define that. You could be in a church meeting like this, worshiping God together. But the truth is, is that we worship 24-7. All of life is an act of worship. A question you never ask someone is, are you worshiping God? Because you are worshiping. What you want to know is the quality of their worship. How are they worshiping the Lord? But worshiping God together. Another way that you can participate in your experience with God is by praying for and with each other. A third way is by sharing your spiritual gifts, whatever God has given you. Lucia has wonderful gifts that I don't have. She's a rib and I am ribless. And so we come together like Adam and Eve and form a a wonderful one. And what she brings to the marriage, I could never attain. And then I bring a little bit to the marriage myself. And, and so I have something to contribute and she has something to contribute. And as we share our gifts that God has given us with each other, we are participating. We're having biblical koinonia. Sharing each other's burdens is a great way to share your experience with God. It used to be that we would have to go on double dates with people so that I can hear Lucia sharing her burdens with this person over here as I sat at the table because she would never share them with me. And so I would be talking to this guy and and listening out my other ear to see what is going on with my wife because that's the only way I was going to find out because I had not created an environment of grace in our home to where she felt the freedom to to speak with ease without any kind of punitive or, or retribution. And so we would go on dates with other people and then I could sort of listen in on my wife's experience with God. That's kind of tacky, isn't it? It's also hard because you're trying to actually pay attention to this man over here, sharing your burdens, sharing your experiences. How is your life going today? What is going on? What is on your heart? Another way is confessing your sins. This is where it becomes intentional, intrusive, and dangerous. And then the last way is sharing your secret life. This will not happen in a day. You remember the dating relationship? You ain't sharing nothing. But if you have true community as what you want as your goal and your intentional, then you want to move to that. It takes years and decades to get to that place. And if you have a relationship in your life where you can be vulnerable, where you can be weak, where you can be transparent, where you can be open, then you are wealthy. You are wealthy. If you have a human relationship like that, there's one other correcting each other. If you can correct each other. All right, here are half a dozen communication questions. Number one, these are good questions to get you jump-started into biblical koinonia. I am struggling 
will you help me in this, and then name it and claim it, specific area? I am struggling. Will you help me in this? Now, this question is important for the obvious reasons as you hear it, but there's something else that's here that you need to know. It's, it's implied. It's footnoted here. If you're going to have biblical koinonia with another person, you want to lead with yourself. I am struggling. You don't go up to somebody and say, we're going to have biblical koinonia. You're struggling, and I want you to tell me what it is in your life. Don't try that at home. Don't try that at church. Don't try that anywhere. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 3, 4, and 5, take the log out of your own eye before you go after the speck in the other person's eye. And so the way that looks in the home is kind of like this. Tell me your name again. Phil. Phil. I remembered it. Right. All right. Phil has got a sin in his life. Do y'all know Phil? He's visiting. We didn't plan this either, but I want to share his his sin. No, actually, uh, <laughs> this is how you do it, according to Matthew 7. All right. So this is a log in my eye. And so it's you got a speck in your eye, Phil, and I can, I got this Hummer log in my eye and I can barely see that thing in your eye. Don't let me poke you in the eye. It's like, I won't try to get that speck out of your eye. That's the way you approach. You ought to try that. If you're married, go home tonight and try that. It really works. If you get the log and the speck reversed, uh, you're going to have problems. And so when you enter into koinonia, you lead with yourself. You judge yourself first. All right, number two, another question, how can I serve you? There are two questions that I ask Lucia more than any other questions, and that is one of them. How can I serve you? So when we go out, the question is, how can I serve you? And honestly, the majority of the time, the way she answers that question, she, she hardly ever says, wash more clothes, wash more dishes, what she says is 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 uh, more in the spiritual realm, you know, the way that I communicate to her, you know, giving her time, talking to her, dealing with spiritual matters and so forth. That is what serves her. But it's an open-ended question that she can answer any way that she wants to answer. Number two, uh, number three, what is God doing in your life? And so when you come to your church meeting next Sunday morning, you can walk up to any person and say, hey, what's God doing in your life? And if, if both people are cooperative and want to do that, you can start sharing your experience with God right there. It's a great question. After you do the log in your eye, you could say, how is God helping you in a specific area of sin? This is a great marriage question if your marriage is mature enough to handle that kind of truth. Another question is, what areas are you still struggling? The number one question that I ask my wife is this one. The second question is, how can I serve you? The number one question that I ask her is, how is your soul today? Now, that's an important question. We are a dichotomy, a body and soul. The body is the basket word for all of our body parts. Eyes, nose, mouth, heart, lungs, blood, toenails. Body is the word that communicates all of that. Soul is the basket word that communicates all of our soul parts, our will, our emotions, our thoughts, our intentions, our motivations, 
our heart, our mind. And so when I ask Lucia, how is your soul today? She knows what I'm asking. I'm asking a broad question, a general question on purpose because I want her to have the freedom to answer it in any way that she wants to answer it. I am worrying today. I'm anxious today. I'm mad today. My my motives of my heart are sinful today. I'm fearful today. You don't want to go up to someone next Sunday morning and say, how is your big toe? My big toe's fine, but my elbow, I wish you would ask about my elbow. No, just how's your big toe? (laughs) Big toe's fine, thanks for your love. But if you say, how is your body today? She says, my elbow's killing me. Oh, talk to me about your elbow. You see how that's just a better question? And so, why are you laughing? (laughs) No sprickin' Z English. It's late. If you can get your relationship to that place, to where you can ask that kind of question, to where she has the freedom to say anything that she wants about the dynamics of her soul, then you are entering into her life in a fantastical way. There are four hindrances to biblical koinonia. One is your reputation. Two is fear of man. Three is self-centeredness. And four is apathy. If you are guarded about your reputation, you will never be vulnerable in front of other people. If you are overly concerned about what other people think about you, fear of man, Proverbs 29:25, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts the Lord is safe. If you are controlled by people's opinions more than God's opinion of you, then you will not have freedom to speak. If you are self-centered as opposed to other-centered, you will not enter into other people's lives. And then if you are apathetic, apathy is not a Bible word. The Bible word is biblical hate. In the Bible, there is love and hate, and either it fits on the love side or the hate side. Apathy does not fit on the love side. And so if you are apathetic toward people, the biblical language is biblical hate. We want to love people. If you would like a a transcript of this information, I would be more than happy to send it to you. And if you go on my website, you can see more about what we do. Because my greatest desire for you all tonight is to truly understand and practice biblical koinonia. Not just in your marriages, but in this church. And that you become wealthy people. Let's pray. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.